We're focused on making affordable carbon-free electricity possible for everyone. We're able to, with just your address, share reliable insights into how your home uses electricity, assess its usage and its costs, and then actually provide recommendations for everything from rooftop solar, the EV rate, EV charging, heat pumps, thermostats. And we're trying to do this in a way that educates consumers, but also helps actually get solutions in their hand as quick as possible to help them move forward in their electrification journey. Welcome to the Entrepreneurs for Impact podcast. My name is Chris Wedding. As a former environmental private equity investor, four times founder, climate tech CEO, coach, and professor, I launched this podcast to share the entrepreneurial journey, practical tips, and hard-earned wisdom from CEOs and investors tackling climate change. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. This is the number one way that listeners can learn more about the climate CEOs and investors I interview. All right, let's get started. My guest today is Naman Trivedi, co-founder and CEO of WattBuy. WattBuy helps homeowners find the best electricity, solar plans, and much more, all at the lowest price. Just using a home's address, they crunch the data to recommend personalized bundles from the most trusted providers. To date, they've helped procure 20 gigawatt hours of cleaner power while saving customers over $4 million. Partners include corporations such as Amazon, Redfin, and Samsung, as well as investors such as Schneider and MCJ Collective. In this episode, we talked about how they reduce friction to make customers' decisions much easier, why they focus on action and not just education around clean power choices, how they bill their customers under their particular SaaS software model, why they're product and service agnostic in the clean energy industry, whether they sell on cost or climate in terms of priority, how they do business with the focus on relationships, not just transactions, why this Buddhist quote is relevant to his style of productivity, which is, don't just do something, sit there, from Thich Nhat Hanh, why he thinks to-do lists are useless, and a whole lot more. Hope you enjoyed, and please give Naman and what by a shout out on LinkedIn, Slack, or Twitter by sharing this podcast with your people. Thanks. Naman Trevetti, uh, co-founder and CEO of WattBuy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Chris. Great to be here. So if folks were to go to your website, and hopefully many will go there after this recording, they will see some great stats on the About Us page, I believe talking about 20 gigawatt hours of clean energy you all have helped procure across all 50 states in the U.S. and saving customers at least $4 million in the process. Those are big numbers, but I think I also saw on your website, hey, look, how about we just make clean energy cheaper for every home on the whole planet? <laughs> so just getting started, dot, 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 no. Yeah, I mean it's been a long journey, uh, you know, since we've started the company, and and I think every entrepreneur can can relate to that. That every every passing year feels like uh, an eternity, but very early in our journey, um, and and all that we're focused on around making you know affordable carbon free electricity possible for everyone. And so some good progress to date, but but a pretty pretty long way to go, for sure. 
let's start with the problem you're solving, right? So yeah. problem you're solving and who you're solving it for. How about that? Definitely. So, you know, what, what we're focused on at WAPI is, you know, like I said, making that affordable carbon-free electricity world possible for everyone. And the problem that we're focused on, you know, everything is around eliminating friction in a consumer's journey around home energy and electrification. So, you know, if you, um, and I'm, I'm sure you have, and I know that many of your listeners probably have tried to make some decision around, you know, the ROI of, of rooftop solar, or if there's a good time of use rate for their new EV or their washer and dryer, or, you know, wrap their head around what community solar means for their bill. And that journey for consumers is generally quite chaotic, quite complicated, and often results in overspending and just kind of a lack of confidence that you you know you're doing the right thing for your home, for your your cost structure for energy, um, and for sustainability. And so what we do is try to solve that in two core ways. First is our home electrification marketplace, hadwapai.com, and that delivers curated cost-saving energy options to every household in the US, so all 100 million plus households. And then second is a complete energy software platform that enables other enterprises to serve those same you know, robust energy insights and experiences to their customers. Um, and so kind of sticking to that problem statement around eliminating friction, everything that we do is around a quick address search. So we don't want you to go find your bill. We don't want you to you know, find out what rate you're on or, or any, you know, any of your cost. We're able to, with just your address, share reliable insights into how your home uses electricity, assess its usage and its costs, and then actually provide recommendations for everything from rooftop solar, the EV rate, EV charging, heat pumps, thermostats, et cetera. And we're trying to do this in a way that educates consumers, but also helps actually get solutions in their hand as quick as possible to help them kind of move forward in their electrification journey. And then the final piece um, is that we also partner with you know dozens of companies in real estate, home insurance, consumer tech, energy, to help them build their own energy marketplaces and insight experiences for their millions of customers to understand and adopt home energy solutions. So that includes companies like Redfin, Amazon Alexa, Updater, Samsung, et cetera. Well, I'm, I'm vigorously taking notes, Navin. Although we, although we know each other through the Climate CEO Group here at Entrepreneurs for Impact, it's great to have members on so I can learn more about their companies. I wrote a lot of things down. One was you mentioned addressing this lack of confidence that your customers have in making decisions. And I think it's a good reminder that a lot of times the problems we're solving for customers, it's not just an analytical problem or a tangible issue, right? A, a An easy to define or see, it's emotional, right? It's psychological. So then that's, that's an interesting note there. You also talked about how you all are not just providing information, but you're facilitating implementation, right? Action. And... I know this comes up a lot in the this strategy consulting course I teach for Duke MBA students where I say, hey, look, folks, the great projects for your clients, they're really smart and full of great frameworks, but they also are actionable, right? So I think that's, a, that's also important for listeners to think, hey, look, education, great, making the action possible even better. You talked about reducing friction. So... Yeah, you're right. I, I have in, the, in years past in trying to procure renewable energy for our home in North Carolina, 
Now, a little more complicated than it would be in a deregulated market. But I know sometimes the ask was, well, find me your power bill or log into your power provider. I'm like, oh man, where's my power bill? What's my what's my password? What, what's my username? So I think for those listening, every way you can re- reduce friction is is it's, it makes it easier for your customers to say yes. Yeah, yeah, I agree with with everything that you said there. Right. So it's the the reality that we deal with and kind of is top of mind for us is even though in a, in the kind of post IRA era and the focus and interest that there has been on climate tech and and climate solutions and personal responsibility around climate. Electricity and energy does not take up a lot of consumer mindshare, right? In our circles, there there are a lot of folks that are thinking about it many times a day, but we have to deal with the reality that if we want mass adoption of climate solutions, especially on a residential level, most people are not thinking about electricity. Most people want their lights to turn on and they want to pay as little as possible. And so everything that we do on, on our own kind of consumer website, but then also through our partners is trying to reach customers where they are. So if you're looking for ways to save on your home finances, can we get you a better rate plan that can save you money or a thermostat and show you the ROI um, on when you would be able to kind of pay that off because of the the cost savings that are going that are going to come from it? Or we want to partner with a home insurance company that wants to bundle together your your home insurance payment and your rooftop solar payment. So we're we're looking for these creative ways to say, you know, we're not expecting consumers to change their behavior in mass, um, you know, in the next, even in the next five or 10 years, we obviously are seeing really good movement in many different sectors, including, you know, adoption of EVs, adoption of heat pumps and, and many, you know, many products, but to kind of reach past that early adopter group and move into mass adoption, we need to do a lot of work to drive consumer adoption and drive acquisition of these customers. And that's where a lot of our kind of expertise lies in in getting those customers in front of solutions with with education, with analytics that they can digest really easily to make an informed decision. So you you've mentioned what it sounds to be like a kind of direct to consumer, but also maybe a a white label version of of how you all get to get to market. And and maybe this ties into the the big corporate partners you mentioned, the Redfin, Amazon, and Samsung. Maybe just talk to us about that second category. If I'm correct here in in, in a white label kind of construct, what does it look like? You know, what why do they choose you all? And really maybe from Ural's perspective, how much different slash better slash, I don't know, the the contribution, right, of that line item, that type of business versus maybe where you all started uh, direct to consumer? Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. And it's, it's uh, been an evolution for us as we've seen the market evolve and we've seen what, what customers want, what, what individual consumers want, you know, then, and by that, I mean, you know, homeowners, renters, but then also understanding and seeing the evolution of enterprises that interact with consumers and how they engage with their customers as it relates to climate solutions. So, so I can I can talk through kind of what kind of differentiates us, what makes us unique, kind of in the market, and then and then I'll dive into specifically, you know, why why some of the corporate partners want to work with us. So, at the company level, I would say there's kind of three three big things. One is we have an extreme focus on on data science. So we have a lot of kind of internal expertise on that machine learning that has kind of enabled us to build models to estimate 
electricity cost, you know, for a home down to 15 minute intervals, and then aggregate that up to a monthly estimate, a yearly estimate to show for any home based on its bed baths, its square footage, where it is, the climate zone, the temperature, the local weather patterns, and the rate kind of data for that home to say, here's how much electricity this home uses. And then also what that equates to in a monthly bill. So we're able to kind of build up a lot of that to be able to show insights to, to consumers with kind of minimal input on their part outside of just their address. But then we also do a lot of work to actually proprietarily capture rate data through machine learning algorithms. So this is through public utility commissions, filings directly from utilities. And because of the way we do this, kind of all automated and driven by machine learning, we are able to operate you know, at a, at a significantly lower operating cost and maintain a really kind of high margin business. And that's proved really valuable as we just kind of double down on, on the way that we capture data and the way that we use a lot of really like public data to drive you know, insights onto how consumers' homes use electricity. The second kind of area is that in everything that we, we work on with consumers and actually getting products and services in front of them, we stay product and service agnostic. So by that, I mean, we are truly recommending what is best for the homeowner or renter. We don't have any allegiance to one brand or service or product or even category. Every, you know, our, our belief is that every home is unique. Every customer's energy usage is unique. And a family of five you know, in Texas may think about energy costs and sustainability differently than a couple living in an apartment in, in PNW in, in Portland, Oregon. And so we truly tailor our recommendations to what is best for the consumer based on their preferences. And that might mean, you know, rooftop solar plus a rate plan, you know, in, in one geography. And it might mean enrolling in community solar in another geography. And it might mean something entirely different in, in another geography. So we're able to kind of tailor that um, to make it really focused in where our allegiance is to the customer. And then the final piece is kind of exactly the question you asked, which is we're able to drive a lot of kind of sticky proprietary embedded corporate partnerships. And the first two reasons I kind of gave on data science and, and kind of staying true to the customer drive a lot of the value that we bring to corporate partners. Uh, but we also push our enterprise partners a lot. You know, we ask them to do deep API integrations to ensure that the user experience and the customer journey is seamless and actually gets solutions in, in people's hands. And we've been really successful at, at engaging you know, a lot of these partners because we can work with them to figure out what the definition of success is for them. And in many cases, what we're finding is many enterprises that kind of sit at these intersections where they have a massive base of consumers that are asking them for sustainability solutions, kind of come to them and say, how, how do we, you know, how, how, do you, how can you help us? The enterprise is kind of left saying, you know, we, we don't actually know the best way to go about this. And we as a company have kind of invested in making it as easy as possible so that an insurance company can stand up a branded marketplace kind of under their name, or Redfin can launch an electricity cost estimate and solar estimate for every home across the country, or Updater can help you know, movers set up electricity in one click. And so the kind of versatility of our platform makes it such that no matter what you as an enterprise do and how you engage your customers and what your goals are, there is an angle where we can help you show your consumers that you really get it when it comes to sustainability and we can help get solutions to your customers kind of in the right way that makes sense in whatever kind of part of the journey that they're in. And that flexibility and versatility has proved really valuable kind of across the board in many different verticals that we work in. 
And would you say that, you know, if we flash forward, whatever, five years, that the vast majority of your go-to-market essentially is through corporate partners? It, it is through them creating uh, these deep API integrations, their own energy marketplaces to serve kind of millions of potential homes. Is that right? We think so. I mean, our I would say our, our greater philosophy, kind of where we see the world going and where we want to push the world is there are many brands around the world that customers know and love, and we can transfer the energy relationship from the utility, which plays a really important role in the ecosystem, but generally is not doing much to engage the customer outside of kind of your monthly bill payment. And we can transfer that relationship, which has a lot of value to enterprises, you know, like, like some of the ones we've mentioned. And each one has a unique role to play in how you interact with, with energy, whether it's you know, understanding the impact of buying rooftop solar on your home's value or the impact of a battery and the, improve, and, and the improvement on resiliency for whether uh, you need to kind of make a claim on, on your home insurance to some, prob- you know, probably some examples that we can't even conceptualize right now. But, but we can transfer that relationship to a lot of brands that are excited to do work in climate and energy and realize that it can actually be the next pillar of their business. So we see a lot of value in that. And, and that's, that's where a lot of our focus is on is in building the tools that we can, we can do to support many different kind of new age energy companies to, to pop up. That's really interesting what you said there that uh, you know, energy can be a, a new pillar for many of these businesses as they expand. Let's see, what is the nature of your, I don't know, contract, if you will, with the likes of these corporate partners? Is it more kind of a flat fee software enterprise license? Is it more kind of volumetric? The more that they help their customers procure this power and save money, you all get more benefit, you're paid more accordingly or, or something different? Yeah, it's it's more and more the former of what you mentioned. So we you know we we operate you know like uh, like most software companies that you know, where we're we're charging kind of SaaS fees to our enterprise partners because we're providing them a service that helps them, uh, you know, helps them achieve goals around customer retention, acquisition, kind of building a brand halo around climate and sustainability. But really, you know, quite tangible in in the goals that we're trying to help our enterprise partners achieve, uh, which, which we're really excited about. And, and the more that we see success, we're able to kind of dive into that industry and say, you know, this is a really good solution to drive towards a lot of core business goals that our, that our enterprise partners have. There is kind of, you know, additional components depending on if the partner is one that primarily wants to use our data and insights, um, you know, modules and, and kind of wants, wants kind of the raw data and they want to kind of build their own solution on top of it, or if they want our full marketplace where they're actually driving solutions to customers, um, you know, which, which has kind of added complexity to it, but we operate kind of in both models, uh, with, with enterprises and, and, you know, all sorts of verticals. And whether it's you all going direct to these homeowners or going through the the corporates, to what degree are you, are they selling, if you will, on saving costs versus climate motivations or both? Great question. You'd be surprised. A lot of the times the companies that we expect would be driven by sustainability as the kind of core issue that they expect their customers to care about actually care about cost. And sometimes the ones, and, and when we talk to a you know, head of sustainability 
you know, at a company that is very forward thinking and, and you expect is driving sustainability as a core, you know, pillar as is hearing from their own customers that they primarily care about cost. So we're, we're, we're surprised pretty often, but we think it's a, it's a fair debate and it's really important. And it's pretty important for us personally, I think as a company philosophy that we make sure that renewable products and services are not a luxury good. And for a long time they have been. And outside of solar, there are still not many products that have the level of financing and support where you can kind of do 0% down and get financing and, and the math works out right away. And a lot of what we want to do is drive so many consumers to transact through WattBuy and our partner integrations that we can then start driving the cost of a lot of these products and services down uh, because we lower the acquisition cost in the market. So we have you know, a ways to go on that front, but to that first point we talked about around, you know, most people want their lights to turn on and they want to pay as little as possible. It's a really big motivator for how people make decisions, not only in energy, but in in many, you know, things as it relates to their wallet. And so we we pay a lot of attention to that and and we take note, you know, when when our customers say that sustainability is really important, but consumers are transacting here based off of cost. And that matters a lot in how we drive a lot of integrations and, and make sure consumers adopt products and services. And you all have certainly grown on your own, if you will, through through revenue, but you've also had the support of pretty climate savvy outside investors. I wonder if you could talk about maybe examples of those outside investors, maybe kind of what led them to say yes, or maybe what led you to say yes to kind of bring them on as really long-term partners here. Definitely. Every entrepreneur kind of goes through their own journey figuring out if they need to raise money, how much money they need to raise, who they need to raise money from. And it's definitely been a process for us to do that over the last you know, five or six years. But personally, I feel pretty lucky with who we've been able to bring around the table, both in terms of kind of an investor base, but also our board. And you know, it's, it's been a pretty fruitful partnership for us to, you know, in general, have outside investors. In general, the, the thing that I think I've learned through the process is that it's important to build relationships over time and kind of take the calls and, and meet investors. But you have to be clear about when you're fundraising and when you're not. It's a distracting, it's distracting as a process. And, and you as the entrepreneur need to kind of run the process and not let the process run you, which is definitely something I, you know, I've been guilty, guilty of in past fundraisers. And that can turn what you know you want to be a three-month fundraise into a six-month fundraiser, a nine-month fundraiser, or even worse, you know, it kind of drags on. And this, you know, to, to the question you asked, it kind of extends to the entire process. You're in control. You have to really, you know, embody and manifest that you are choosing who gets to invest in your company. And then you have the belief in this future that you're building. And so, you know, for us with, you know, groups like Powerhouse Ventures, you know, who were really early supporters of us and, and continue to to this day, you know, we wouldn't be here without them. And then, you know, so much more, uh, you know, so many more have kind of come come forward and been supported, including, you know, Schneider Electric, MCJ, uh, the Amazon Alexa Fund, you know, many others. But we've kind of run the gamut from corporate venture to to kind of institutional investors, to utilities, groups like Evergy, and each one kind of has a unique thing to offer. And, and we found kind of value in it. The only other thing I'd mention is it's also worth investing a lot of time in board dynamics and, and getting your board to work in concert with your company goals. Every time you're bringing on, you know, a new round of fundraising, there's, there's the likelihood of kind of adding a board member. 
Um, and either that can be highly, highly effective and useful, or it can be dysfunctional. I mean, I think in many ways I've gotten lucky, you know, with with who we've brought, but there's a lot of work that can be done to make sure it's a really effective board interaction that can that can be really powerful for your company. I think for those listening who really resonate with the last part of what you said, there's a great book in its second edition by Brad Feld of Techstars and Foundry Group that folks could uh, could check out. Naman, it would be easy for listeners to believe that this path has been super easy and just getting big name corporates and, and investors to support your growth. Talk to us about one or two paths that you all tried, but didn't work out and maybe, maybe why. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I mean, I would, I would say that we're probably, you probably hear the idea of pivots, you know, in, in companies very often it's talked about, it's, it's socialized, you know, and sometimes it's a sharp pivot and sometimes it's a small pivot. But the reality is when you're starting from scratch, you go through multiple iterations of the business to figure out which, you know, which of these is a real business that has a product that can actually meet a need in the market and then has an ability to scale. And, and we went through that, you know, a couple of different times where first we started as kind of a pure direct to consumer deregulated energy marketplace saying there's a lot of kind of rampant misinformation and challenges that customers are facing in in kind of figuring out what's the right rate plan for them in a deregulated market. We built a marketplace, we did kind of analytics kind of on a home to say here's the right plan for you. And we put it out to the world and we said this is going to be awesome. You know, we, we figured it out. Machine learning is involved. What could possibly go wrong? And no one transacted. And the acquisition cost was was absurdly high. And from that learning, you know, you're you probably already heard a lot of things that I said today. And and we learned a lot from that experience, right? So we learned the analytics on the home were really valuable, and people thought it was really unique. And that was a nugget that we found that we could provide. But we also learned kind of through the mistake, uh, you know, of, of that business or just kind of the experience of that business that no one's going, you know, on Google and searching, you know, change my rate plan. You know, there are some people, but that's a very limited market. And so we had to kind of adjust from there and say, we're not going to do that much better than anyone else at actually driving consumers to make this change just because we estimated their their homes electricity usage. So we need to figure something else out. And then the second version of that was, you know, starting to work with corporate partners to say, maybe this is a fully white labeled experience. And, you know, we tried to do that. And what we realized is we actually didn't push our partners, you know, far enough. We would, you know, work with an enterprise and say, why don't you link people off to WattBuy or why don't we do a co-branded website? And it worked, you know, with a, with a handful of partners, but really what we found is we were just asking another company to put our product up on their shelf and kind of hope for the best. And the other partner, you know, the the enterprise partner didn't have enough skin in the game for that to really be meaningful. And if it didn't work, they didn't really care. And so that's kind of how we arrived at the company as it is today, where it's a, it's a SaaS business where we are actually very clear on the value that we are providing to enterprises. And we're actually pushing them to do something uncomfortable which is, you know, say that you as a home insurance company should stand up an energy business and here's how, and we're going to help you do it. And if you don't do it, there's actually a lot of risk in, in the next five to 10 years, um, you know, compared to your competition. And that's not kind of as a threat or kind of feeding on, on fear. It's just the reality of the world we live in today. Uh, and the fact that younger generations of consumers are expecting this to be a given that the, the enterprise gets it when it comes to sustainability 
and kind of carbon-free operations of that enterprise, but then also products that they sell and how they help consumers make decisions. So this final iteration, you know, has really started to work, which is really exciting. But as I mentioned, we're we're really early and there's a lot of companies that are figuring out what the right way to engage with everyone from a, a new small company all the way to 100-year-old companies that are really entrenched and and have a great customer base, how to have them engage their customers with sustainability. I think, in other words, what you're saying is something I resonate a lot with, which is we're all still figuring this stuff out, constantly changing feedback from the market, uh, from, from your customers or different macro factors, what, what competitors are doing. Hey, it's Chris. Just a brief message from our sponsors, and we'll get back to the show. <laughs> Just kidding. We don't take sponsors. On the other hand, I do have the privilege of leading the only executive peer group community for growth stage CEOs, founders, and investors fighting climate change. With monthly group meetings, annual retreats, and one-on-one executive coaching calls, our members help each other boost revenue, impact, capital raise, clarity, confidence, work-life balance, and team effectiveness. Today's 30-plus members represent over $8 billion in market cap or assets under management for climate solutions. If you're interested, go to entrepreneursforimpact.com and join the waiting list today. All right, back to the show. Let's switch, Naman, from what by to you, the person, or one of the two people, one of the people on a, on a much larger team behind the company. What is something that you strongly believe in, ideally not business-related, that you know shapes how you build this business? I think one of those things, and it's not explicitly business-related, but, but actually it's at the same time very business-related, is that relationships kind of make the world go round people and relationships. I think that's true for any progress you make in life. Early on, it's you know generally because of, I mean, and I'll just speak to me, early on it was because of my parents and family support, but then it was peers in school and professors and teachers. But even now, it's, it's because of your colleagues, your investors, and your customers, and those relationships and someone vouching for you or someone helping you out you know, when you least expect it, I think is... Any, anything good that I can point to in my personal journey and WAPI's journey is all due to people who have graciously offered to guide me when I least knew what to do. And that's still you know, actively true you know, today. Um, I don't expect that to ever go away. The two notes I wrote down here, one was you know, basically a, a transaction mentality versus a relationship mentality, pretty different, or maybe said differently, like a, a quid pro quo kind of perspective on interactions versus a relationship pretty different, but it's it's really easy and common to err on the former, especially especially early on. How about some habits or routines that keep you healthy, sane, and focused? What would those be? Daily, weekly, monthly, what you got? Maybe maybe this is controversial, maybe it's not, but I I hate that there are hundreds of productivity hacks and and podcasts and Twitter threads and and everything around it. Uh, maybe it's uh, maybe it's just become too much and there's some nuggets of excellent advice out there. But I think, and, and, and there was certainly a period of time where I thought I had to figure out some of these things. But for me, I honestly do what I feel I need in the moment. If it's an afternoon run in Central Park when I have time and the day is great, I'll go do that and come back and do some work uh, You know, if I have to in the evening. Um, and that's awesome. But I think fundamentally, I believe in my ability to achieve goals 
around the company. And I think every entrepreneur should and has to. It's it's generally how they've gotten to the point that they decide that they should start a company, run a company, et cetera. And so generally, I kind of think that you have it in you to figure out the right balance for your life. And, and that's very different for every person. You know, for some people, it may be driven, you, you may be driven by making sure you have solved every problem that day and you'll sleep better because of it. But hopefully this can inspire anyone that doesn't want to follow a rigid routine or do a cold plunge or you know, any, anything uh, around that. Uh, because I think for me, it's like I spend a lot of time with family and friends, me and my wife's, uh, you know, both of our siblings all live around us. So I, I don't have any secret. Uh, you know, you have to do what works for you. And if that's the cold plunge, power to you. I want a warm shower. Um, I experience discomfort at many other ways at work. Uh, you know, so that's my you know honest answer to it is it's it's taken time to find the balance, absolutely, especially in a work from home world. And you know, we were we were doing we were remote before COVID. I mean, that felt really weird to me to be at home when everyone we were talking to was in an office, you know, at a, at a partner company. It certainly took adjustment, but I had gotten some advice, you know, earlier on where I had I had asked, you know, someone like, hey, you know, I don't, I don't have a rigid routine. Like, how do I develop one? And they're like, do you feel like you're not achieving what you want to achieve? And I was like, no, I actually feel like I'm doing a great job. And they're like, then why would you change what you're doing? Um, and and that stuck with me. And so I've kind of found my way that I I'm pretty comfortable with now. Well, for listeners to lots of these podcasts. It feels like you're talking to me right now, Naman. <laughs> we we don't have a cold plunge. We thought about it until we saw the price tag. We're like, what for a cold plunge? Anyway, no. I think what, what you're highlighting is that, look, there, there are many paths, right? To get shit done, right? To build great companies, to tackle climate, you know, through business and finance, et cetera. There are many paths. Part of what you said reminds me of a quote by the um, Buddhist teacher Thich Nhat Hanh, who was really kind of the teacher that kind of got me into that space 25 years ago, he says something like, don't just do something, sit there, right? Mm -hmm. The opposite of this kind of structure and busyness uh, mentality. I mean, maybe the, the tweak for you would be, don't just do something or don't just have a routine. Instead, sit there with family and friends, right? That's, that's the balancing, the kind of the foundation perhaps uh, for you. Definitely. Yep. I think the the question is right. And I think uh, there are, it's a question that I think founders and uh, executives at companies likely don't get to honestly ask or answer themselves often. So I, you know, I, I appreciate you asking it because a lot of the culture around health and sanity and mental health and productivity has like turned into a task and a thing you have to figure out and and you have to do right. And you have to let people know, uh, you know, how you're doing it. And that's, I think, to the quote you mentioned, it's like antithetical to what what that's all about. And so, yeah, to anyone that that is kind of figuring out, figuring out, you know, how they work, you know, they should just, uh, I, I would just recommend to think about what what works for you and not try to kind of copy anything um, that you see that that may sound good. Right. So, so two hour morning routines are not required. <laughs> Unrequired. It may it may be awesome, and for some people, it, it totally is. Um, and you know, it, it, I think it, it matters a lot. And we have folks in our company where you have you know three kids, um, and and your time is is highly limited, and and you need that uh, you know separate time. Then you have to do it that way. Um, and if you're you know 
single and just graduated from college, you have a completely different. So I think a lot of this also changes over time. And in, internally at, at WAPA, we're quite respectful that every kind of person thinks about it, thinks about it quite differently. So you make me think of a, I think a fact I heard yesterday where there's this, I guess, author, YouTube influencer, perhaps ultra athlete, uh, David Goggins, I believe is his name. And just total badass, I believe former Navy SEAL. Anyway, our two teenage boys are, are fans. And I heard that he also meditates two hours a day. And the my boys are not quite into meditation yet. I mean, who, who needs to sit still, right? But when I said that, my wife said, wait, wait, wait. Is this guy married? Is he have kids? Like, <laughs> who has two hours to do all that, right? Anyway, yes, each situation is different. It's, I mean, yeah, we could, you could have, I'm sure that there could be entire podcasts about the philosophy behind, uh, you know, this, um, and, and, and how to think about it. But like, there's a, there, there's also like a really good argument that like entrepreneurs are athletes, you know, in, in their own way. And you don't see NBA players or tennis players or anyone probably repeating what I just said, right. About like, do what you want when you want, figure it out kind of a thing, because there's a team involved. There's there, you know, there, there's a lot that that should be rigid. So I'm, I'm, I would say I'm also not giving credit to how much is probably rigid for me, but I think personally, I find the value, I find a lot of value and comfort and flexibility in my, in my ability to kind of maintain mental health, maintain productivity, you know, as opposed to other things you could fill that time with, which, which are equally valuable and, and useful for, for people. Well, I'm sure if you were, if this were on YouTube and you shared your calendar, I'm sure folks would see the the back-to-back nature and think, oh, well, no wonder, right? Folks like Nama need, need some flexibility in their schedule. Let's go to uh, two more topics here. One is, are there books, podcasts, tools, quotes that you think readers may find value in? Yeah, I'll give I'll give one tool and and maybe one book. So as a as a tool, um, I'd say you know there's a lot of shiny stuff out there, cool software, you know, tracking stuff, sales software, etc. I think one of the most powerful things you can use is notes on your iPhone. It syncs to your Mac. It's on your phone. I'm assuming that that you have a iPhone and and Mac for sure. You know, for for the purpose of this tool, but. You, you, I mean, I, I've now, you know, run most of my notes for five years on that um, and, and not very well organized because I can search. And my belief is you don't need significantly high level of organization around it. And it goes to another, another weird philosophy I have, which, which I'm trying out. I don't know if I'll stick with it, which is I don't think you need to-do lists. I think if it's important, you'll remember it. And if you don't and it slips by, it probably wasn't critical or it's okay that it got delayed. And it's a little bit kind of towards trusting yourself and trusting in you kind of knowing what what is critical and what is not. And what I found a lot is like I build a lot of, to, I, you know, I used to build a lot of to-do to lists and I'd leave like nine of the 12 things undone, which kind of defeats the purpose, right? And other people may take that to take it very religiously to kind of complete the to-do list and there's strategies around it but especially as a you know uh, in, in kind of entrepreneur ceo world where you're being thrown you know maybe 15 decisions to make a day right and and kind of a lot of different tasks you naturally figure out what's actually critical to solve today and what is not and you know there's obviously overarching things that that matter you know over time um that that need progress and need real kind of work done behind them but that's that's just a 
a shout out for for the notes app on iPhone. Keep it simple. Got it. Okay. Um, and then my second one would be a book, uh, which is my favorite book of all time, which is Dune by Frank Herbert. It has now been turned into a movie where part two is coming out. But you know, one of the original science fiction epics, um, a great kind of study of politics of again relationships and and you 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 can draw a lot of parallels to building companies and competing in the world and leadership and actually energy if anyone sees the the connection between spice and oil so there's a lot of kind of great lessons and 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 it's a great read um so i've, I've probably read it a handful of times but re- uh, re- renewed my excitement over it because of a couple of great movies that are being you know, built on the back of it now. Well, you, you're you're picking on one of the two common themes for non, I would say non-business books, one being sci-fi yeah. and the other probably biographies. I don't think biographies yeah. are purely, you know, business books, but a little, a little surprising perhaps. You also raise this interesting kind of scenario where you're anti-productivity hacks and anti- to-do lists. Yes. And I think for a lot of people, if they were anti both those things, you may wonder what they're going to get done, right? They may get, they may get some things done. Uh, but anyway, I think it's it's one thing to be building a company with this kind of traction and corporate partners and investors and to be anti-productivity and anti-to-do. Often it is, it is easy to be anti those two things without accomplishing uh, or building what you're building. Anyway, fu- fun juxtaposition. You're leaving yeah, yeah. out well. <laughs> How about the final, the final word here? What's a what's a message? I don't know. Call to action, uh, Naman, for for the listeners here. I would say every path is is non traditional in entrepreneurship, um, and I think that's the point. You probably heard some things from me that that sound weird, and and I hope that's the case. And if you know you're a listener and you're thinking about starting a company, it's worth it to take the plunge. And I, I had all sorts of concerns on you know did I have the requisite experience? Did I know how to work enough with engineers? Uh, did I know enough about climate and energy? Uh, you know I never worked at a utility. I'd never you know worked at a big energy company. And the answer to all those questions is likely what you think. The answer is. You probably haven't worked with enough engineers, and you haven't, you don't know enough about energy. And I'm here to tell you, none of it matters. And it's worth it to take the plunge because a lot of this, uh, the entire part of it, you will you will learn along the way. And to go back to you know that belief I hold strongly, you'll learn it through the relationships, and those relationships will compound, and that's where you'll figure it out. And you'll be you'll be more than surprised at how many people are willing to help you along the way if you. If you take the plunge, well said. And it, it, uh, I'll kind of plus one that I was listening to a podcast earlier today, and they're talking about this one particular individual who was great at at bringing people together, right? A great connector, giver versus just a, a getter, if you will. And the comment was that person is a friend billionaire, and I was like, well, that's an interesting <laughs> concept, right? Yeah. We think about billionaires yeah. as just the dollar bills, but what if you were just so rich in relationships, right? Which yeah. sounds like the trajectory that you're on. Hey, uh, Naman, we're rooting for the success of Wattby, W-A-T-T-B-U-Y.com. Until next time, man. Talk to you. Thanks so much. Talk soon. Thanks for listening. And if you want more intel on climate tech, better habits, and deep work, then join the thousands of others who subscribe to our Substack newsletter at Entrepreneurs for Impact. Dot com.
or drop me a note on LinkedIn. All right, that's all y'all. Take care.